Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Really appreciate you participating in worship in a, in a powerful way. And let me echo what uh, Phil was saying about prayer. It is so important. You know, if I had a call from the governor, I would absolutely take that call. If I had a call from Eric Spolster, the Miami Heat, I would take that call. I would take a call from Marco Rubio. I would take all those calls. But I wonder, how many times do we take a call from God when he's actually waiting to say something? He's given us this incredible thing called prayer. We can interact with him. We can share our heart. We can hear from him. I encourage you to be here as this church gathers to pray. November 3rd, 633, and uh, love to have you for that. Now, we enter a series, as Phil said earlier, about the book of Acts today, about God opening up this window of mission, this time when he can reach all the world with his good news. It's, it's an incredible time that he's opening up. When, when the world expected, when his disciples expected him to do something different, expected him to come and rule, God opens up this incredible window uh, this window of mission, and that's what the book of Acts is about. It's, it's probably the most exciting, most compelling, most action-packed book in all the Bible. It's pivotal, and I look forward to what God's going to do in our lives through this time. You know, there are, there are windows of time that are important to us, aren't there? There's times in our lives when we can do things, and there's times when those times are over. You know, for someone who was an average athlete like me and John Russell, there was a time in our lives when we were really average, amen? amen? But when you've graduated from high school, kind of those times are over for most of us. Um, there are seasons when you can do things. There's, there's a season in South Florida that's just about to end when you can get a table at a restaurant, amen? As we welcome our snowbirds to town. Snowbirds, if you're watching online, we love you. We want you to come. Um, but there are seasons. There's windows of opportunity, and particularly for... For a woman, there's a time when she can give birth. There's a time when that's over. There's that window of opportunity. And this is what we're in right now, this incredible window of opportunity that God gives us to be his witnesses, his message. And that's what we're talking about today is I'll be bringing a message called Supernatural Selection. But before we go there, next Sunday is October 31st. It's an important day on the calendar. It's the day that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg door to begin the Reformation, right? Theologians and people know about Christian history, Christian history, history of the church. But, you know, next something else happens next week as well. October the 31st is Halloween, said all the believers in the room. Praise God, you all know. Halloween has one of these kind of a weird kind of feels to it, right? If you're a believer, you're like, well, should I really be doing this? Because it feels kind of evil, and we're kind of glorifying evil a little bit, and, you know, should I really dress my kids up as witches and ghosts and all that, you know? Let me just say this. Um, first of all, come to church on Halloween. That's what you ought to do, because I'm going to be preaching a sermon called The Greatest Ghost Story Ever Told of Acts Chapter 2, Okay? Nobody has a better ghost story than Acts chapter 2. There's a dead guy 
who pours out spirits all over everything, it's going to be awesome. So tell your friends, next Sunday, be in church, the greatest ghost story ever told. Be here next Sunday, 9, 30, and 11. Also, let me just give you this as uh, unsolicited advice, which I like to give out. On Halloween night, just be a blessing to your community. It's a great time to know your neighbors. Don't give out crummy candy. Don't be that guy. Oh, we got a sucker. Oh, great. Oh, we got a Tootsie Roll that's going to pull all our fillings out. Give them good candy, okay? Give good stuff. Be the house that people know about when they show up. You're going to be a blessing. Don't yell at them. Be a blessing as long as you can. For us, it's about 30 minutes maybe or an hour. Turn your light off, go to bed. But be a blessing and get to know you. It's a great night to get to know your family, know your friends, and know your neighborhood a little bit. You say, I don't want to participate, it's evil. Okay, okay. But really, it's kind of a night just to know your neighbors. And if you disagree with me, write me emails, I'll ignore them, all right? <laughs> so today, supernatural selection. If you know anything about Charles Darwin, you know he kind of coined this term natural selection. And his idea was that organisms that have traits that are suitable to survive in a given environment will do better and survive, and those traits will grow in the population. And in a sense, the strong will survive and the weak will die, right? That's the whole theory of natural selection. Now, Darwin took it too far, and he began to think that, you know, an amoeba is going to become a horse and that a horse is going to become something else, and I don't know. It's, he gets all out of whack. But the idea that the strong survive is true. And the idea that the strong survive says that the environment really dictates who wins and who loses, right? Because if you don't have the ability to survive in a hotter climate, you don't get to survive. It's all about the environment. But there's something I want to talk to you about called supernatural selection. And in supernatural selection, a super intelligent, super wonderful being puts intelligence and power on the beings he chooses to bless, and they become strong and they survive by saving the weak. It's way different than natural selection. It's when God steps in and says, normal people like John Amitangelo, who's not all that normal, could actually go and be a witness. Right, John? Give me an amen there. Praise God. Thank you. If you sit on the front row, I can see your face. Be ready, because get ready. Lee Keller, I can see you as well. Um, no, it's this idea that God's going to do something amazing to disrupt the natural, normal order of things. And he's going to use his people to do it. Supernatural selection says that Jesus Christ has selected you. If you're a follower of his, he selected you to be his representative. He selected and empowered you to be a witness. And that's where Acts begins. Acts chapter 1 Beginning in verse 1, we'll cover the first 11 verses today. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Now, I want to encourage you, as we go through Acts, I would say, why don't you be reading it before you show up? So next week, read Acts 1 and 2, and you'll know the greatest ghost story ever told. It won't take you that long, but you'll have more a sense of what's going on. But I would encourage you, open your Bible, or turn on your Bible, and read with us Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, Acts is, as many of you know, it's volume two of Dr. Luke's story of Jesus and, the act- and his activity on earth. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, is his first volume, and he's writing to a friend or somebody named Theophilus, which means lover of God. Some people think he's writing to anyone who is a lover of God, and in effect, he is, or helping people become lovers of God. He says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. It's really interesting. Jesus has already been taken up. And he's starting his story, really, he's going to kind of summarize the fact that Jesus, when he ascends, but really that's already been said. But Luke refers to his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, as all that Jesus began to do. So what does it tell us? It tells us Luke is saying that Jesus is still active through the book of Acts and beyond. So one of the things we need to understand about Jesus is he didn't just die, rise from the dead, and ascend and just sit there and watch the world do whatever it's going to do. Rather, he's still active. He's still active today. It's all that Jesus began to do and teach till the day he was taken up. And he gave commands through the Holy Spirit to his apostles, the ones he had chosen. And in verse 3, he says he presented himself over 40 days. Now, 40 is an important number in the Bible. If you know me, I don't like numerology. I don't get all wrapped up into into this number means this, and let's don't go too far with that. However, 40 is a significant number. It means a lot of time, right? If we hung out for 40 days, we'd know each other pretty well, wouldn't we? Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness before he was tempted by Satan. Children of Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, right? So 40 days means that Luke wants us to understand that Jesus didn't just do a drive-by. Hey, how you doing? I just resurrected. I'm, I'm headed to heaven. Good to see you. Hello, boss. See you later. No, what does he do? He spends time talking to over 500 people, wanting them to know I am real. I am alive. I want you to know what I'm all about. He spends time, 40 days with them. And it says that he speaks to them about the kingdom of God. He speaks to them about this coming kingdom that's going to be amazing, and he connects them with every, he connects them to everything in the Old Testament as it relates to him. Remember the story of the road to Emmaus, the, where the two disciples are walking along and Jesus joins them. They don't recognize him, but Jesus begins to explain to them how everything that happened from Moses throughout the law, throughout the Old Testament, is connected to him and his resurrection, even though they don't recognize him until the very end. It says in Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is saying, all this stuff points to me. All that sacrificial system, that points to me. It points to me and this kingdom that is coming. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus says to them, listen, you guys need to stay here in Jerusalem because something amazing is about to happen. I don't want you to miss it. I want you to stay here because John baptized with water. Remember, John the Baptist came, and he, 
He baptized people with water. He dipped them in water in order to symbolize repentance, in order to demonstrate that Jesus would come and cleanse people of their sin. And that baptism, Jesus took and made it even more meaningful by saying, it's coming and I'm here now. For us, baptism is this picture of what Jesus has already done in our lives. It's the cleansing picture that I'm dipped in the water and I, I, I died who I used to be and I come out a new person. I come out clean. I come out innocent. So Jesus is John baptized with water, but soon you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What a picture. We're going to be like, flooded we're going to be deluged we're going to be submerged this spirit is going to cleanse us it's going to be amazing god's power is going to be all over us oh my goodness the disciples are about to get really excited because what they've been looking for is about to happen they're going to get this power to rule with jesus to take over the world to be soldiers to be an army to conquer the known world as jesus leverages his power as a resurrected being that's what they're thinking that's what we've been waiting for this is going to be awesome I can't believe it. It's happening. Do you believe it? It's going to happen. It's so cool. Have you ever been excited like that? And so they ask him in verse 6. So when they'd come together, they ask him, Lord, is it time? Lord, is it time? Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Will you bring us back to the days of David, the glory days, those old wonderful times that where we were dominant as a people and everyone respected us and even feared us? Jesus, are you going to do that now? We're so excited because we're ready to walk with you and to, to be your, your heads of state, your generals, whatever it takes. We're ready to go. Is it going to happen now? And you would think that that's exactly what would happen. It makes sense. It's been predicted. Jesus is going to rule. This Messiah person is going to rule the world. It's going to happen. So it's going to happen right now. Right, Jesus? And then, verse 7. This is the pivot, really, of the whole book of Acts. And really the pivot in the New Testament that really opens up this window. Verse 7. He said to them, It's not for you to know. What? It's, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Wait, what? You said not many days from now we're going to be deluged, be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it's not for you to know when I'm going to rule. That would be mind-blowing. Wait, we, we, didn't, we didn't understand what's going to happen. You know, we as humans, we feel like we got to know everything, don't we? I mean, you don't have to really know anything anymore. You just have to have a smartphone, right? Any piece of information that you need to know, you can find out right now. You can find out anybody's age or where anybody was born, how long they, whatever their thing was. You can Google anybody. And so we have this idea that we should know stuff and that there's nothing we should not be able to know. There's cameras everywhere. There's listeners everywhere. Everything is tweeted out. Nothing is uncovered, supposedly. We should know everything. But you know, there's some things we shouldn't know. Some things we don't really need to know. You don't really need to know when you're going to die or what you're going to die of, do you? That would mess up your life, wouldn't it? 
You don't need to know the difficulties of tomorrow because you'd kind of be frozen and depressed. Oh, my goodness. What's going to happen tomorrow? You don't need to know those things because it would stop you from the mission that you're on today. The other side of the coin, you don't need to know some really good things either. My favorite really good thing that you don't need to know any more about probably is you don't need to know how great heaven is going to be. Think about it. Because if you did, you would jump in front of a speeding car today to get there. Think about that. I mean, God tells us it's great and it's going to be amazing and we should be living in light of heaven and looking forward to heaven always. But I got to tell you, if you could live one day in heaven, you wouldn't want to be here. You'd do whatever you had to do to get there. See, God limits our information for our own good. Jesus says to his disciples, you don't need to know that. It would mess up this mission that I'm giving you right now. It's not for you to know. Don't be worried about that because I've got something amazing for you to do. Verse 8. He says, instead of worrying about when I'm going to start ruling, verse 8, he says, you, you. Let me just stop there for a minute. You. You 11 unreliable disciples. You 11 guys who have really no qualification to be called by me other than the fact that you've been with me for three years. You're not really well educated. You're not really well spoken. You're not very reliable. You don't really get it. Yes, you. And that would extend to you in the room as well. You. You will receive power. Not you're going to earn power. Not you're going to develop power. Not that somehow you're, you're qualified for power. What does he say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth it's a powerful powerful verse you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you it's really good news we don't have to create our own power so God is ready to supernaturally select you and empower you but the power has a particular purpose. This is really important for us to get. We don't have to generate our own power, but the power that God gives has one particular purpose. And that purpose is to make us a witness. It's to make us useful to be someone who can tell what they have seen and experienced. Really, a better word might be to be a reporter. An accurate, truthful reporter. This is who Jesus is. This is the good news about Jesus. It's easy, honestly, for us to take God's power and try to use it for something else. But the only real purpose for God's power is to make you a witness. To make you someone who can tell what you've experienced about Jesus. To demonstrate that in your life. You say, wait a minute, Steve, I, I don't know if that's right. What about the fruit of the Spirit? Isn't the purpose of the Spirit, isn't the purpose of the Spirit to give me the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and a bunch of other words that end in N-E-S-S, right? Well, let me just say this. Yeah, if, 
You've received the gift of salvation through repentance and faith. You ought to be bearing the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is simply evidence that the Spirit lives in you. Amen? It's not the purpose of the Spirit, right? The Spirit generates fruit in you so you can be a good witness, so you can be someone that someone would listen to, but the fruit is not the purpose. The fruit is the evidence that the Spirit is present. So understand this. The Spirit of God doesn't come in you to make you wealthy, to make you healthy, to make you respected, or to even make you happy. The Spirit of the Lord comes in you to make you a witness. That's what it's for. So that's the mission. You need to be a witness. And Jesus says, listen, I'm giving you this incredible opportunity. You're just like, oh, a surfer maybe, who's waited for that perfect set of waves. And you've waited for that day when you can go out and you can be out there in the ocean and the the waves are coming in overhead and it's super clean and the sets are perfect. And if you're a surfer, you're going to call in sick. And if you need a surfer to do something that day, forget it. It's not going to happen. Because the most important thing is to get out there to the sea, to the ocean, and enjoy it, right? Or if you hear that the mahi are running and you have a boat, you're going to go out there. It's time to get out there. It's time to go, go crush the mahi. Or maybe you've got this opportunity, this perfect job that fits you, allows you to be your best, best self, gives you the right opportunity, gives you the tools to be successful, and you're ready to step into it. The question is, will we show up? Will we show up to let God's Spirit work in us? The last part of this verse, I think, is particularly interesting because it says, you're not just, where are you going to be a witness? All right, go be a witness. Great, it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. All right, where? He says, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, normally people read this verse and they go, well, that's kind of a geographical thing, right? So uh, Jerusalem's the city, Judea's the area, Samaria's an area near there, and the uttermost parts of the world is everywhere else. So for us, that might be Delray Beach, South Florida, the U.S., and the rest of the world. So let's do that. True, nothing wrong with that really, but I think it's deeper than that. I think God's call is deeper than geography. So the people of Jerusalem were what? They were good, relatively speaking. They thought they were good. They knew everything there was to know about the Old Testament. It's where the Pharisees kind of ruled. It's where they were in charge. And they were really good people. So there are people in your life like that, isn't isn't there? There's people who are good or think that they are good. They believe that their goodness is going to be enough. They believe that's all they need to do is be better than people around them. They'll do anything for you as long as they're seen as being good. See, Jesus is saying you need to go to the people, even the people who think they're already good. Hard to reach. They need to understand that there is no one good. No, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not to make them feel bad, it's to make them understand you can never be good enough. You can never earn your salvation. It's all up to Jesus and his goodness. So that's Jerusalem. Their focus is goodness. And then around Jerusalem is an area called Judea. And those people don't quite live in Jerusalem. They're nearby. They're pretty good. But they're not as good as the people in Jerusalem typically because if they were, they'd live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has influence over them. So there's a sense of we're not quite good enough. You know, people like this too. 
They kind of have an idea what God might want, but they don't really quite hit the target, and they know it, and they kind of live in this zone of guilt. They know kind of what they're supposed to do. They're not quite doing it, you know? And they kind of live in a kind of a guilt thing. They don't really know what to do about it. They, they, they kind of constantly trying to make up for something that they did. These people are, can be open to the gospel because Jesus has a cure for the guilty, doesn't he? Really, the only way to get someone saved is to help them understand that they're guilty first. That Jesus had to die for them. So Jerusalem are the good, and Judea are the guilty. And Samaria is this area kind of north of, of Jerusalem, north of Judea. And it's where the people came who were really kind of half Israelis, uh, children of Israel, half the rest of the world, because it was resettled with people from all over the world. And the people of Samaria were syncretists, and they had combined different parts of other religions in order to create something that was workable for them. You know, people like this. This is very common. They believe in everything, if you will, are pieces of everything. They're very tolerant. They live all around us. They feel like, well, that's good and that's good. And so it all, we, there's many paths to Jesus. They deny, or many paths to heaven, they deny the exclusivity of Jesus. They don't believe what Jesus said, that all, that um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. These people need to understand and be loved into the kingdom to understand Jesus came to save them. He is the only way. He is the narrow road. And then there's the uttermost. These are the people who are really ignorant of Jesus. They don't know anything. And they're the easiest to reach if you can actually get to them because they don't have a bias against Jesus and the church. They would like to know. They don't know. Often these people are in very remote areas, and it's, but they could be around us as well. So you have the people who think they're good, people who are guilty, the people who are tolerant, and the people who really are ignorant, have no knowledge of Jesus. Jesus said you're going to go to all these kinds of people, not just the ones around you, not just the ones you feel like are good. You're going to go to all these kinds of people. That was his mission that he laid out. And then in verse 9, he takes off. Verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, and as he went, behold, two men stood by them with white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus launches, if you will, right? He goes up into heaven, and there's two angels that stand by, and the Disciples are going, man, this is amazing. They're just looking up in the sky, kind of like we look at a NASA launch, right? Well, what is going on? This is amazing. But the angels stand next to them and they say, listen, don't just spend your life looking up into the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back. He absolutely will come back in the same way that he left. Here's the message. They're reiterating what Jesus had just said. Listen, don't worry about when I'm coming back. I am coming. But I want you to live in this window, this mission window, as one that I've supernaturally selected to be a witness for the good news that I'm carrying. See, we as believers can sometimes get all wrapped up into, well, is Jesus going to come now? All wrapped up into worrying about all that stuff, and it's going to be great when he does come. But our role, primary role, is to be a witness, to be powered by the Spirit 
because we're supernaturally selected. Let me ask you, have you received power? Have you received power? Have you received the gift of salvation through repentance and faith? See, that's how power comes. But the power is for the purpose of being a witness. That's the reason you have the platform that you have, whatever that is. That's the reason you have the influence that you have. To help people understand who Jesus is, that's really what it's all about. It's frustrating to try to use God's power for our purpose. God, I thought you wanted me to be healthy and wealthy and respected. I thought you wanted, he wanted you to be a witness. As a result of that, you will actually be filled with the Spirit and filled with those fruit of the Spirit as well. You see, Jesus didn't come to give you this great life. He came to make you a great witness which results in a great life. Let me ask you, are you in it to be a witness? Are you in it to be a witness? You see, you've been supernaturally selected. You've been picked out, not because of your strength, but because of your availability and your willingness to repent. And Jesus Christ wants to use you and give you his amazing message to share with other people. You say, well, Steve, how do I do that? Because I don't really want to be out there yelling at people on the street corner like I see when I go to a ball game. There's somebody preaching over here, and it's really strange. No, that's not what he's calling you to do, very likely. What he is calling you to do is to live like Jesus. To live a life that demonstrates the life that Jesus lived. A life that is sacrificial. A life that embraces people who are Otherwise, not being talked to, not being cared for. People outside of your circle. A life that does share your Jesus story when appropriate, when you have that opportunity. A life that looks forward to those opportunities. God, give me that opportunity to be a blessing to share with someone. See, that's what he's called us to do. That's the joy that we have. That's this amazing thing that he has selected us and empowered us to do. Would you be a witness? Would you let the Holy Spirit empower you to be a witness? See, really today, I think it's critical that we all decide that. Am I going to be a witness? Do I want to be a witness? And I know what you're thinking. Well, it's going to be weird. I'm going to be a strange person. Don't be thinking that. Just be thinking that God wants to use you where you are. That God wants to speak through you, live through you, demonstrate Jesus through you. So a lot of people get discouraged in Jesus because all that they want from him is a better life. When Jesus is saying, I'm asking you to sacrifice your lives to save other people. Would you be willing to do that? Because that's what this whole study of Acts is going to be. It's going to be about how God empowers his people to carry out his message. I just believe that God wants to do amazing things through this church. Amazing things through normal people like you. This week, I would urge you that simple prayer every day, God, help me be a witness today. Help me use whatever opportunities I have to bless other people, to live like you, to talk like you, to try to help people know you. If that becomes your purpose, your focus, your focus, 
The reason you make decisions, you'll find that God will give, up, give you opportunities. You will find that you will begin to have an impact on people that you always wanted to have, but maybe we're just too busy with your own agenda. Would you be a witness today? Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.